Hey friend, welcome to the Momfluence Podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Kasike. I'm a mom of twins, a licensed school counselor, an educator, and an entrepreneur. This is our community where we get to walk together while building a network of people and resources so we help our kids reach their personal goals and career aspirations. You'll hear episodes with tools and strategies while also sharing stories from a wide variety of experts in the field. Because truly as moms, we are our kids' most influential influencer. So come with me and let's get started. Hi friends, welcome. Thank you for being here with me today. I'm very excited to have today Kim Gushanis. She has a PhD. She is our guest speaker. Dr. G, as her patients call her, is a licensed psychologist and an assistant professor at the University of Texas Medical Branch. She started practicing with adults, helping them with their anxiety and mental health. And soon after working with them, she realized she was often wishing she would have met them earlier in their life. As a result, she now specializes in pediatric mental health, and that is what our conversation is going to be about today. She will be sharing tips and strategies for our parents on how to build communication skills with their children. She will also be able to share with us how to help our children resolve problems and as parents, how to identify when our child just needs us to listen to them, maybe give them advice or sympathize with them and so much more. Whether your child is a young adult, a teenager, a toddler or a baby, yes friend, even a baby, you won't want to miss our conversation. And with further ado, here's today's conversation with Dr. G. Welcome, Dr. Gushanis. I'm so excited to have you here today. Is it okay for me to call you Dr. G? Yes, that's fine. You can call me Kim just for the record, but yes, I go by Dr. G to my patients. Thank you, Dr. G, for accepting my invitation. Um, I'm really very happy to have you here. I think this is going to be a good conversation. Um, And without further ado, I just want to open up the opportunity for you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So I'm a psychologist um, in Texas. That means I have a PhD in psychology and a license to practice psychology. So different states have different rules around who can call themselves a psychologist. Um, That's the rule here. So I think that's something that people often don't know about. I like to always clarify that. Um, Right now, I'm actually a licensed psychologist at the University of Texas Medical Branch, or UTMB, as the locals call it. Um, It's based out of Galveston, but almost all of my work that I'm doing with patients is virtual right now. So I see people all the way from like Beaumont down to Port Aransas up to Sealy. So we've got quite a big region where we practice. Um, I'm also technically an assistant professor there. So I do a lot of research in child mental health and a lot of teaching at the medical school, helping the med students and the residents in our department learn about mental health and being better doctors as a result. Yeah. Awesome. And, um, as far as your experience, um, with clinical psychology, um, what do you see the most, what is your, your area or your emphasis? Yeah, it's kind of evolved over the years. Um, 
the short story is that I started out getting my master's degree actually nearby at University of Houston, Clear Lake. And for a couple of years, I worked um, primarily with adults who had very severe anxiety disorders. And I loved it. It was awesome work. We did a really specialized type of treatment called exposure and response prevention. It's um, a really cool thing um, that I really love doing. But I kept finding myself wishing that I had met these people like 20 years earlier so that I could have helped prevent (laughs) all the suffering that they were dealing with. And um, it's a hard treatment for a severe anxiety disorder. It's not easy. So um, I realized that I wanted to go back to school and really specialize in learning how to both treat, but also mostly prevent mental health conditions like that. So that meant I had to learn how to work with kids, which is very different than working with adults. Um, So I went back to school and now I focus primarily in child clinical psychology, which means I also work with a lot of families, of course, and parents and caregivers of all sorts. Um, But my degree is actually in school psychology, and I did that by design because that's where kids are. So I learned the school system. I learned the legal system around what kids can receive in school in terms of supports. And then I did all of my clinical training in pediatric hospitals. So I kind of worked my way into every system that a child could potentially be in, a family, a school, a doctor's office. And um, that's kind of how I've landed in in the role that I'm in, because we do a lot of work across all of those areas. Very good. And the emphasis on pediatric care, just it fascinated me that you said um, something very important, that you just wish the adults would have known of this sooner. And that's honestly, Mm -hmm. that's the passion behind the Monfluence podcast is what can we do as parents caregivers, dads, um, anyone who's really filling in the role of, of a mom um, or of a parent. And what can mm-hmm. we do today to help them for, for their future? You know, And so one of the things that we try to work on is really seeing what we can do early on so they can have a successful career, because ultimately that's where they're going to be spending the most of their time in. And so mm-hmm. I wanted you to kind of bridge that to me for me, um, talking about uh, mental health, especially in pediatric, and how that can affect um, future plans, future goals, and, you know, pretty much what's going to happen in their adult life. So how much correlation you see? Yeah. There? Yeah, that's a really good, um, really good question. I think, oh, man, I hate putting pressure on parents because you've got enough already as it is. Um, But we do know that a lot of adult problems start in childhood. And this is pretty much across the board. So significant mental health concerns typically are seen early on. Um, They look different in kids than they do in adults a lot of the time, which is why we often miss them early, Um, in in addition to lots of other reasons why we miss things. A lot of that's a systemic thing. We we often don't ask kids these questions. We're getting better at that, though. Um, But through the research, um, at least in Western civilization, in the United States and Westernized cultures, 
we have really started to see the trends of adult um, significant health and mental health concerns starting very early in childhood. So um, depending on what we're talking about, the, the ages vary, but we can see signs of depression, bipolar disorder, anxiety, um, you know, just poor social or stress management skills. We can see that really early. So um, it is really important to be paying attention to mental health and to incorporate that into your everyday healthcare um, because it matters. It really does impact trajectory quite a yeah. bit. No, I thank you for pointing that out. Um, so the pandemic obviously has brought <laughs> a lot of changes. <laughs> what have you mm-hmm. seen? What have your, your experience been before? And what do you see more of now in young adults? Um, we'll say young adults too, and in pediatrics mm-hmm. or in children. Yeah. So let me start by saying, I think the pandemic has been a multifaceted sword, right? There are some really difficult and negative things that have come out of it. There's also been some pretty good things that have come out of it. Um, You know, like any change, it's, it's hard to adjust to. Um, But I do think on one hand, it's actually helped us shine a light on a lot of really big inequities in the world, um, including children's mental health. So that's one kind of pro and con, I guess, is that we realized, wow, we're really bad at this. But also there's been a lot of interest and attention put there. So now we're getting better, you know, and this was definitely a trend before the pandemic. But I think the pandemic really highlighted some areas that we need to be putting focus on. And um, one of the big ones that we've seen most recently is the increase in suicide rates. So both suicidal ideation, which is basically a fancy word of saying, thinking about dying. Um, A lot of kids have reported experiencing that as much as once a week on a normal basis. And these are kids that don't have mental health conditions already. So that's a really big frequency once a week is something we definitely don't want to see in the numbers. So just thinking about death and dying and what it would be like to die, that can be pretty normal developmentally, depending on the age and the circumstances. You know, it's normal, for example, after someone dies um, to think about that for yourself, what what that would be like or what the world would be like without you. Um, But we're seeing these more kind of spontaneous rates of kids thinking about this, talking about this, um, and then attempts have actually more than doubled, especially in the Texas area. So um, that's one of the biggest things that we've seen come out of the pandemic is this kind of almost skyrocketed rate of suicide, especially in minority youth. And I think that's a really important thing to mention that there are particular groups who are especially vulnerable right now. Um, and that's one of them. Wow. It's, it's sad to hear, but I'm glad you brought that up because it opens, it opens the door for us to have more communication about this. Um, what do you see the school systems doing right now? Do you see anything um, that they're doing different or that they're working on? I'd like to share with you that I'm soon to release my signature digital course, 
self-discovery to your ideal career path with group coaching. If you are interested in helping your adolescent rediscover who they truly are and how they can gain clarity towards their career path, then send me a DM with the word waitlist on Instagram, LinkedIn by searching my name or via email info at collegecareerready.org. This course includes four modules. The first one, Understanding Yourself, where we dive into self-reflection exercises to understand their vision, purpose, skills, and strengths. In the second module, What Inspires You, we will explore the sources of inspiration in their life, including their passions, interests, and experiences. In the third module, Researching Career Options, they will learn strategies for researching different career paths and industries. They'll explore various job roles, company cultures, and career trajectories to gain insights to the opportunities out there. Plus, I will teach them the value of a LinkedIn profile. And in our last module, College Selection Goals and Action Plan, we will learn how to set SMART goals based on their self-discovery journey. We'll create an action plan outlining the steps to pursue their ideal career path, college selection, how to maximize their experience while in college, skill development, and networking. This is a four-week course with group coaching included, and it will be for an introductory special price at the time of this recording. Plus, your adolescent will have access to the course for a full year. It includes a parent and student workbook, so parents, you will be an integral part of your adolescent's self-discovery. If you're interested, send me a DM with the word waitlist on Instagram, LinkedIn, or via email. And all of those links will be included in our show notes. So all you have to do is click and go. All right, my friend. And now back to our show. Yeah, well, you know, all states Mm -hmm. are different. And um, without getting political, I have to say I'm very pleasantly surprised with Texas and their willingness to systemically target this issue. Um, You know, the reasons for it aside, the work is getting done, and that's really important. So there are a lot of initiatives right now in various school districts. Um, Public schools, I think, have a lot more access to these programs than do like private and sometimes charter schools even. Um, So that's definitely something to keep in mind. I have the most experience working in the public school system, so I can speak to that. Um, there's a few major kind of statewide initiatives that are happening right now to increase access to mental health. Um, you might've seen after the recent Uvalde school shooting, um, there was an article that came out. I I don't remember what, I think the Texas Tribune maybe that talked about the statewide program where we're providing virtual mental health to all Texas schools. Um, and that's a real thing that, a lot of states don't have. And so it's quite impressive that Texas is taking this on and they're doing a decent job. You know, it's slowly but surely coming to fruition. And um, that's actually how I provide services right now to, um, to students across Texas school districts. So it's the entire state working on this. Um, there are definitely people out there with this expertise that are contributing and, and doing what they can. When it comes down to... <laughs> 
schools and what they actually choose to do and how they choose to do it, there's still a lot of variation across districts. So that's definitely something parents can be aware of and asking about within their own child's school. Very good. That That's a good good point um, about building the communication between parents and their individual school to see what resource, because I have realized over the years, even growing up, that there's a lot of resources we just sometimes fail to ask. <laughs> yes, actually, I was going to bring that up at some point. I think parents don't realize like there is so much out there, even as a mental health provider, I sometimes is like, wait, what? I didn't know that they had that service. And it's, it's overwhelming. I think especially today, there's so much min- misinformation on the internet. It's hard sometimes to know where to look and if it's accurate or who to ask. Um, but something that I learned in school that I think a lot of people may not have had the privilege to learn is that no question is a bad question. So even if someone treats you like you're stupid for asking it, it's still important to ask. If you don't know, if you are curious, ask the question. Um, And that kind of is a golden rule that I keep about everything. There's no shame in asking, hey, what do you have available for this? Or do you know if there's anything that I can connect to around this? Um, I think it's a really important thing for parents. Yeah, no, that's a a very good tip for parents. Um, And I'm going to circle back around to, so, you know, some of us are pretty tired of all the all the um, Zoom meetings and everything that's going online. But I will say that sometimes doing um, counseling remotely, and I've experienced it myself, I've seen it, where some students just feel a lot more comfortable, sometimes in yes. more than in person. So I don't want to discourage any parent from, you know, giving it an opportunity because it's, I think it, it eases the stress on the children. And it's, I don't know, mm-hmm. what do you think? <laughs> You're totally right. Kids live online. <laughs> like that is where they do everything these days. And as much as some of us uh, might dislike that idea, it's happening whether we like it or not. So this this uh, kind of internet and social media literacy is very important for parents to get on board with because even if you hate it, that's where your kids are getting their information. So. I think that therapy can be really great virtually. I've had a lot of wonderful feedback. I think it helps the people who can't take off work and drive in and get to an office or who don't have people in their area that provide that service. It's so important that we're doing it, but also kids are more comfortable on screens. So they like it for the majority of them. So there are a few cases where I don't think it it works well and it's something that we have to address, but um, for the most part, I think it's really awesome. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, tell me a little bit about the signs of alarm for parents. So, you know, I'm a parent myself, and it will vary depending on what age your children is or children mm-hmm. are. But what what signs um, are out there that you can recommend parents to keep an eye out for? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, this is tough. It's a big question because like you said, it changes well, not only throughout the lifespan, right? So as your child is rapidly developing from like age three to 20, um, it, literally day by day, it could look different. So it's it's hard. Um, and it a lot of this plays into circumstances. I think it's really important to recognize that 
individual mental health is something that we are all pretty familiar with, but a lot of people aren't recognizing that mental health happens within a context. So we can't just look at individual factors. We have to pay attention to the context, the family, the community, the school setting, the social climate, unfortunately, um, all of these things matter. And so when we're talking about signs of alarm, we have to kind of think like expand our bubble, our lens out a little bit. Um, but that being said, we do know that there are a few things that parents can keep an eye on. Um, one is screen time. So I know I just said that I want your kids on screens with me, but also um, screen time is a big one. So we want to see kids more active and balanced. Um, it's inevitable that they're going to be on screens, but also we want to make sure that they're not only contributing to their social activity virtually. So that's a big one. Um, big changes in like mood or behavior that seem to have come out of nowhere. That's another one that you can pay attention to. I, I hear parents, you know, it, it just it felt like a switch flipped and all of a sudden they're just mad at me every day, which can be a normal kind of adolescent uh, stage. But also um, I think parents who are connected with their kids, and I, I think most people listening to this podcast probably fall in that category. Those those signs that you kind of feel weird about or those kind of gut feelings, it's worth following up on um, those, those changes that you notice. Um, some more like kind of concrete ones would be like withdrawal. So if they're kind of opting out of family things or opting out of going out with their friends, saying no to things that you don't understand why they wouldn't want to go or um, opting out of things that they're usually interested in. So it's typical for a kid to change their hobbies up, you know, like, oh, I love swimming. Okay, I hate swimming, but now I like volleyball. That That's normal. But when they kind of give up on all of it or they're like, no, nah, I just, everything's kind of boring. Everything's meh. Um, that's a sign that they might be dealing with something. Um, we want them to stay socially connected in some way. And we know that, like we talked about earlier, the, the child to adult mental health trajectory strong social supports and a nurturing environment, a supportive environment. And what I mean by nurturing is lets them be who they are. That and social connections are the biggest predictors of wellness later in life. So they might struggle in school. They might have hardship in one or another area, but if they have a strong social support system at home and within their community or with their peers, that does a lot of good. Very good. Yeah. Um, actually, we talk about that a lot here mm -hmm. is about building that community and mm -hmm. that network and just getting out, getting out with our children um, <laughs> so they can have face to face communication. Yeah. yeah. It's, Absolutely. it's important. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, so let me let me give you a scenario because I know this is going to be crossing a lot of parents' minds. So let's say a parent sees some, a sign, a couple of signs, and they ask and they say, hey, anything's going on? Do you want to talk? And they just respond, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> what do you do? As a parent, you have that gut feeling that something's not right. What should the next step be? Um, keep asking. 
is, is my first rule. Like I said earlier, always ask. Um, I think <clears throat> parents can be really intentional, intentional about creating regular conversation around things that are happening in life. So I think it's important for you not to wait until you're worried to ask those questions. So regular family talks, check-ins, you know, kind of talking about both the good and the bad things that are happening in life and just kind of normalizing that we're going to talk about this stuff, you know, regularly. It's just part of your routine. That will help those moments when the kid wants to say, oh, everything's fine, but you know, it's really not um, because they're going to already have been comfortable having those conversations. So taking a little bit of a preventative approach there could be helpful. Um, But with kids, it's also normal for them to not want to talk to you about those things. So encouraging them to reach out, making sure they have other people checking in on them. So their aunties, their uncles, their teachers, um, you know, if you have concern, check with the teachers, say, hey, have you noticed, like, I noticed they've been a little down, are they like this in class? Um, Reach out to your, to their systems and, um, and see if other people can check in on them. And then encourage them to keep uh, doing the things that we know help, like staying active, getting good sleep, um, eating meals. (laughs) Sometimes we are just hangry and we need to be reminded to eat a meal, you know, so things like that, um, just kind of scoping out the environment a little to check in on things if they're not wanting to talk. A lot of kids don't like talking and I have to help parents get used to that a lot in therapy. It's like, yeah, they might talk to me because they're forced to be here, but that might not be the way that they deal with things through talking. So that's another thing to consider is finding other ways of expressing how they're feeling or what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, I like how you said about reaching out to their systems mm-hmm. because they spend they spend eight hours a day. More time than at home, usually awake at least. Yes. No, yeah, absolutely. And so um, building that communication there is is also a good point. Um, I've personally experienced uh, reaching out to the school counselors when I've needed for for my own children. And they're so good. They're, they really know how to talk to them and how to really approach them. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, absolutely. I encourage that as well. As far as, I mean, we don't want to say mistakes um, because, you know, obviously situations is kind of hard to make that judgment call as parents, but looking back um, from your experience with, with parents, what has been the most common thing that, that, that they've done that that you wish would have been different? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, This is a very hard thing to nail down. I'm going to just say that I could probably talk on just this question for like an hour. Um, I won't though. I promise I'll do (laughs) it. We'll have to do a second episode (laughs) for that. Um, So I think there's, I'll, I'll narrow it down to two big things. The first is to be okay with not being okay. I know this is a cliche kind of social media thing that we're talking about a lot these days, but it's really, really true. I think one of the things that I see most often is parents panic when their kid has a problem with anything. And 
instinctually we want to jump in and fix it right that's um that's what we do as parents we take care of it we make sure they're safe we fix the problems but with emotions i think a lot of people have this misconception that emotion especially difficult emotions are bad like we shouldn't be anxious we shouldn't be sad we shouldn't be stressed and if we believe that we're asking people to be inhuman essentially i think one of the things that we tend to do as a parent is try to make it all better and that's just not realistic we can't always have the good only and so if i could say anything it would be to let the bad exist let the difficulty be there um because it's natural and yes sometimes it really sucks to be anxious about something but also anxiety can be a good thing sometimes it can be a motivator it can keep us paying attention to what's important to us or sometimes even tell us what's important to us if we're not aware um that's just one example but i think that's a big one that a lot of parents tend to kind of overreact when a kid is struggling with something in in an emotional sense like oh my god they can't be feeling this what do i do how do i fix it you know Um, the other thing I think that I see often is that parents, um, and I think this is changing and this isn't true for everyone. I have to say, don't often do a good job modeling what we want our kids to be doing. (laughs) (laughs) You hit the nail on the spot. (laughs) Yes, I agree. Yeah, we're good at we're good at lecturing for sure. Um, but we don't often practice what we preach. And when it comes to health, and I'm talking whole health, not just mental, but like physical health, financial health, um, cultural health, emotional health. When we talk about just being well, um, it is it's hard. It's so hard to exist in this world and feel good. And I think it's really important for parents to acknowledge that it's like a, it's a work in progress for everyone. And if we want our kids to really learn, they have to see us doing it. And so talking about how we feel as parents, talking about when we have a hard day, what we're going to do to take care of ourselves, talking about those uncomfortable feelings. Um, it, do I have time to give you a specific example? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So one of the things I do a lot, so I I am a trauma specialist, which means I work with kids who have experienced some traumatic event in their life or who have been exposed to a traumatic event. Um, And a big one that's been coming up since the pandemic is death, grief um, due to the loss of a parent, a very close loved one, a pet. Um, And with grief, most people really struggle to talk about that. Most people really have a hard time knowing what to say or how to support someone who's grieving. Um, And this is true for suicide as well. Um, So death for any, uh, by any cause. And I think one of the things that parents struggle with is talking about how they feel about the death or about the person who died, especially when that person maybe was known to have had a stressful relationship Um, it's really hard to acknowledge like that ambivalence about death. Sometimes this is a super specific example of, I think it's a really good one. And a lot of times when I have, for example, a kid 
who, you know, feels really guilty because they feel some relief that this person finally passed or that this person's not in their life anymore. I have to tell parents to embrace that. Like we can have those ambivalent and gross feelings and talk about them and normalize them. Um, And I think it's really important for parents to do that with their kids too. So when it feels scary, that's when we need to be talking the most about it. Oh, man, thank you for sharing that. And yeah, absolutely. It's like we're leading by example, if, you know, we're saying, don't worry about this, or, um, you know, it's going to be okay is a good response. But if we Mm -hmm. don't walk through the through the process, then it becomes difficult. And then for us, same thing, if we just say, Oh, it's okay, we're not walking the process through them, they just know that parents went from you know, being uncomfortable to being fine. And they didn't see the in-between. Right. Yeah, exactly. And we do your, your recent episode about like words of affirmation and encouraging kids to like give themselves those positivity kind of statements. Mm -hmm. That's really important too. And and providing them with that hope and that sense of safety, that's essential. Um, And there are going to be times where you don't feel hopeful or you don't feel a sense of safety or you don't feel good. And it's okay to acknowledge those too. And I think as parents, we tend to be like, okay, we, we have to be strong. We can't let them see that we're suffering. We can't let them see us struggle because I guess for some reason we've, we think that like kids see us as superhuman, but they don't, they see right through that. And they're little sponges that absorb all of it. So they're learning by that that we're supposed to pretend like we're okay. And that's just not helpful for anyone. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for, for elaborating on that. Um, so what age should we start talking about mental health? And how should we, <laughs> how should we start that conversation? Um, well, in the womb, is that too early? <laughs> Can you <laughs> Can you start reading them books when they're still in there? That's, that would be my choice. Um, I think as early as you can. Exactly. Yeah. And like I said, it's not always about like having a conversation as much as it is about like modeling that you, you can talk about these things. Right. So, um, as soon as you can just creating an environment where your child feels like they can come to you when you have, when they have something to say. Um, but again, remembering not all kids are going to want to talk about it. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. some tips that I give parents is practice your active listening skills. You don't always have to fix it for them. You can just listen. And sometimes kids really appreciate you asking them how they want you to help. So do you want me to just listen? Do you want me to give you advice? You just need a hug. Um, and asking those questions actually forces them to think like, what do I need? And a lot of kids mm-hmm. don't get permission to think about that. So that's a, that's a big one um, that I think we can do to kind of start these conversations is letting the kid know, like, you know, you have a choice in how I support you as a parent too. Like what, what do you think works for you? Um, another thing is not asking for explanations so much. I think that, mm-hmm. 
a kid comes to you, they're upset about something and our instinct again is to fix it. And I hear a lot of parents say, well, why, why do you feel like that? Or what happened? Or why are you so upset about this? I don't understand. And most of the time they don't either. And so those kind of questions tend to put a lot of pressure on the kid. And so talking about mental health can be you just kind of opening the door and saying like, Hey, I heard that, you know, there's a lot of kids talking about this these days. Has that been coming up at your school or have you heard about that? Or just kind of inviting them to share and then really putting on your listening hat and trying not to ask too many questions, trying not to interrupt, but really just letting them say what they need to say. Um, I think sometimes kids need permission. Sometimes they need that door opened. But once you open it, if you really let them kind of express themselves the way they need to, they they usually will come back around. And in fact, most of the time they won't stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love this. I, I think I'm going to have this episode on replay for myself. <laughs> I mean, so many good tips. And, you know, I think a, a lot of parents, I know I fall under this category. We just want to quickly fix it because yeah. we don't want them to go through that yuck feeling. I get it. And yeah, yeah. So I think it's, it's really encouraging. Um, you know, for you to emphasize with us the to just pause and just listen. And I like that you said, just ask what they need, because our immediate response for as parents is, I will fix it. I will help you fix it. And sometimes yeah, here, let me call your teacher. I'll ask her if she can do this or that. Right. And some kids yeah. might need that. And some kids might say, I have no idea what I need. Like you're supposed to know that. Right. And then that's our invitation to step in and do our thing. But yeah, I do think it's important to pause and kind of let them learn how to advocate for themselves too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let me, because before I let you go, I, I think this is something that we definitely want to touch on. You mentioned suicide earlier, mm -hmm. and we have seen the increase. Um, even personally, I've, I've seen it myself. Yeah. What, what do we do? Or what can we say? What is the process? What should we do as parents when our child has either lost someone directly or mm -hmm. knows of someone and they know that it's because of suicide? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So first of all, let me say for parents who have recently or who have experienced this in the past, there are really excellent resources and I'm happy to kind of send some of those your way. Sonia yes, to put on online. Um, there are places that have this very well articulated for you. So I'm going to do my best to remember all the important parts, but there, there's okay. plenty of help online for this. Um, I think that the biggest thing is to be open and honest with your kids when they have questions about what happened. Of course, you want to be developmentally appropriate. Only share what's necessary. Only ask uh, or only answer what they're asking but if your kid's coming to you, if they know that this is something that happened and you haven't talked about it with them, ask them if they want to talk about it, um, especially when it's about someone that they knew who died by suicide. Um, when it comes to their own feelings, um, like I said earlier with grief, it's actually 
really common for kids to have these kind of reunification fantasies is what we call it, where they imagine themselves dying so that they could be with that person again. That's very normal um, for, for younger kids, especially. But we want to also make sure we're investigating the seriousness of those thoughts because we do know that suicidal thinking can happen as early as ages four, five, six. So we want to make sure that we're checking in with them frequently and we're asking that question specifically. Like, you know, you know, I know you talk about wanting to be with grandma again, but do you mean that you want to die or you just want to be with her? And most kids can distinguish that. Um, but asking the question is really like, if you attend any suicide prevention training, that's going to be one of the first things is not being afraid to ask about those thoughts, because um, a lot of people have this misconception that asking about it will actually plant the idea in their head. Mm -hmm. It's very, very untrue. We've, we've shown this for years of really good research that that is not how it works. Um, asking about it is a relief for most people. And if they deny it, they were going to deny it anyways. So like, at least you've given them an opportunity and you're communicating that you want to know how they're feeling or thinking. Um, but there is no evidence that asking a question about suicide actually leads to increased suicidal thinking. In fact, every bit of evidence that we have says that it decreases those thoughts. Wonderful. So providing that open communication and, and asking the good questions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then of course there are a lot of other tips that are really important for suicide specifically. Um, and you being, uh, in the media, there are some really important considerations for like media professionals to consider when we're discussing suicide, um, language kind of tips, um, I can say, so I'm a member of the Galveston County Suicide Prevention Coalition, and we have some great resources on our website. I'll also make sure you get that link. Um, and there's one in particular that on there called Language Matters, and this was published by the Texas Department of Health um, for suicide specifically, um, kind of what words to use, how to talk about it, how to be sensitive about these conversations. Um, and then, like I said, there's plenty of resources online for parents that want to know, like, how do I talk about this? What do I ask? Uh, and then what do I do, of course, if I see what are the warning signs and what do I do if I yeah. see the warning signs in my own child? Absolutely. And um, narrowing those resources for us, I think is very helpful because I know I've I've come across when I, you know, want to research something, um, you go to a website and it has like, a million links and you're trying to <laughs> figure out what works better. So I appreciate you sharing with us, you know, that information to, to spread it out to parents. Yeah. Can I say my, my favorite resource basically for all things, mental health for parents okay. is the child mind Institute. Um, they have very good articles about practically everything under the sun related to mental health and kids and sometimes even like behavioral health school there's lots of topics on there but that's a very trusted resource that I use all the time so if I could say if you take Perfect. one thing away from this it's childmind.org yes. their website is incredible wonderful thank you and I will definitely add it to the to the show notes mm -hmm. 
Oh, Dr. G, give us some signs of hope. <laughs> what do you what do you see that's and you, I think you already touched on a little bit on this, but are we moving in the right direction? What can we continue to do as parents? What can we do as parents in the community to promote it more, yeah. um, to speak more of it? Well, I think that the good news is that kids are so resilient and they literally are like little rubber bands that can bounce back from anything. And then trust me, I see some kids who have been through the worst of the worst and even them, you know, they can do really great. So stress and mental health problems and trauma and grief and death, none of that has to define their trajectory. It's definitely something to consider and to manage and to take care of. Um, but when a kid is well supported and well connected within their community, um, when we're asking the questions and we're making sure we're checking in on them, they do really, really well most of the time. So severe mental health problems in kids, it's much less than I think a lot of people think, um, a lot of parents think there are. Now, the risk that is there is very real and it's, it is very serious. And about one in five kids report symptoms of depression right now. So it's pretty prevalent, but at the same time, all of these things are treatable. So I think that there is a lot of hope, especially in today's culture. We're talking a lot more about mental health. We have people like you who are spreading this information and making people more comfortable just having these conversations. I think it's so important. And I think that's a really, really incredible thing that's happened only in the last like five to 10 years, really. Yeah, that's good. Well, I'm so glad to hear. Um, and as far as parents, is there anything that they could do um, within their school districts or in the community to just, you know, the more we ask, I think the more people will do for um, providing these services. Yeah. I mean, definitely ask what is available. What services does your school have? Um, there are so many options out there for schools. I think one thing that's hard to know is are schools providing something that we know works? And or honestly, any given therapist, any given doctor, are they doing something that we know actually works? Mm -hmm. um, this is called evidence-based practice or evidence-based medicine. And it's a, it's a really important thing, I think, for parents to educate themselves on. Like, how do we know that what we're doing helps? And how do we know that what we're doing works? And one of those things um, in school systems is that schools are very kind of federally and, and state mandated to track what they're doing and what the outcomes look like. And parents have access to that information. So they can ask about it. You know, what are you doing to help support mental health and our kids? And how do you know that what you're doing is working? What are the outcomes? How many kids are involved? Do you ever even use this service? You know, that's one thing. It's just kind of being curious again, asking the question. It's my, it's my rule. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, this conversation has been, you know, very eye-opening um, and also just gives us hope, but at the same time gives us tips as far as what to do. And it's basically talk to your kids today, normalize the conversation today. Oh, yeah. Just keep, keep talking. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Where can people follow you? Um, I have a Twitter. I'm still 
learning all the things. So Twitter is kind of where I live most frequently when it comes to like a public version of what I practice. I do have to clarify that I do not represent my institution on Twitter. I represent myself and my own beliefs. Um, But I do try to share information publicly there. I'm also in charge of the social media for the Galveston County Suicide Prevention Coalition. So you can get good information on our website and on our Twitter as well. Um, As part of my job, we do a lot of mental health education for schools and for parents. And so if you um, ask your school about T-chat services, that is something that is available across the state um, for any public school system. So a lot of them in this area already have it. And T-chat is that virtual mental health service that I was telling you about earlier. Through T-chat, we often have free lectures, free programs for parents and for schools to learn more about various topics. So it's something you can kind of stay connected to. And I try to post when I have stuff coming up on my Twitter, just in case people, if I remember, I usually put it so people can join if they want to. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank you for specializing specifically for children because it's much needed. And I just, I can't say enough that I'm very happy to have you had, um, to have you be here on the show. And, you know, hopefully this will be one of many more to come. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I love the podcast. I listened to all the episodes. I think you're doing a great job and I'm happy to be here anytime. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to each other soon. Sounds good. Hi, friend. Thank you for listening in enjoyed this episode it would mean so much to me if you share it with a mom friend send it to her right now or even better tag me on your instagram story so i can personally thank you for helping me build our community i'm so thankful for each and every one of you let's keep in touch and i'll talk to you soon adios